Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Welcome to a sermon podcast from Salem Lutheran Church. For more information, please stay tuned at the end of the sermon. Brothers and sisters, we join together on what we call in the Lutheran Church the Reformation Sunday. It's always the last Sunday of October. Some celebrate it on the first Sunday in November, usually the one closest to October 31st, where Dr. Martin Luther nailed on the church doors uh, his 95 theses. They were written in Latin. The people were German, and they weren't able to read it because of his, his intention was for the scholars to read it. And so they were written in Latin, questioning the abuses that were going on within the Christian church. And this then became the start of the Reformation. In the light of all of that, we gather together in this Reformation celebration, keeping in mind our great heritage. And our great heritage is always the faithful preaching and teaching of God's holy word which Dr. Martin Luther felt very strongly about. So in the light of all that, I'd like to draw your attention to Romans chapter 3, beginning at verse 19. Because when it comes to the word of the Lord, there are two main teachings, law and gospel. The law shows us our sins. The gospel shows us our Savior and salvation. The two are not to be mixed up. In other words, the law does not save us. Only the gospel can save us. And nor is the gospel to be used as a club in order to guilt people into doing what you want, all claiming to do it in the name of Jesus. Once again, the law shows us our sins. The gospel shows us our Savior and salvation. With that in mind, you'll hear that distinction by the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Romans, chapter 3. We now know that whatever the law says, it is addressed to those who are under the law, so that every mouth will be silenced and the whole world will be subject to God's judgment. For this reason, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by works of the law. For through the law, we become aware of sin. But now, completely apart from the law, a righteousness from God has been made known. The law and the prophets testify to it. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all and over all who believe. In fact, there is no difference because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God publicly displayed as the atonement seat through faith in his blood. God did this to demonstrate his justice since in his divine restraint he had left the sins that were committed earlier unpunished. He did this to demonstrate his justice at the present time, so that he would be both just and the one who justifies the person who has faith in Jesus. What happens to boasting then? It has been eliminated. By what principle? By the principle of works? No but by the principle of faith. 
For we conclude that a person is justified by faith without the works of the law. This is the word of the Lord. Our gospel reading is taken from Matthew chapter 10, beginning at verse 16. These are the words of Jesus. Jesus said, look, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. So be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on guard against people. They will hand you over to councils. They will whip you in their synagogues. You will be brought into the presence of governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. Whenever they hand you over, do not be worried about how you will respond or what you will say, because what you say will be given to you in that hour. In fact, you will not be the one speaking, but the spirit of your father will be speaking through you. Brother will hand over his brother to death, and a father will do the same with his child. Children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by all people because of my name, but whoever endures to the end will be saved. And when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. Amen, I tell you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for consideration is found recorded in the book of Daniel, chapter 6, beginning at the 10th verse. This is the episode of Daniel being thrown into the lion's den. Now when Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went to his house. It had windows on its upper story that opened toward Jerusalem. Three times each day he would get on his knees and pray and offer praise before his God. He continued to do that just as he had been doing before this. Then these men came as a group and found Daniel praying and seeking favor from his God. They then went and asked the king about the decree. Your majesty, did you not sign a decree that anyone who prays to any God or person for 30 days except to you, your majesty would be, your majesty would be thrown into the den of lions? The king answered, indeed I did. The order is established as a law of the Medes and the Persians that cannot be revoked. Then the king gave the order and Daniel was brought and thrown into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the pit. The king sealed it with his signet ring and the signet rings of his nobles so that nothing could be changed with regard to Daniel's situation. Then the king went to his palace. He spent the night without food and no entertainment was brought before him, but he could not sleep. At dawn, the king arose as soon as it was light and hurried to the lion's den. As he came near the pit, he cried out in a fearful voice. The king said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God, whom you serve continually, able to rescue you from the lions? Then Daniel spoke with the king. Your majesty, may you live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the mouth of the lions. They have not hurt me because he found me innocent in his presence and also before you. 
Your Majesty, I have committed no crime. Then the king was very glad and said that Daniel should be brought up from the pit. So Daniel was brought up from the pit and he was unharmed because he trusted in his God. This is the word of the Lord. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, when you walk into the stores, you're going to see that Christmas decorations are already up. In fact, I think they've been up for at least a month already, which just kind of blows my mind because we haven't even gotten through um, Halloween and nor have we even celebrated Thanksgiving. But the Christmas decorations are up. So it makes me think that of one of my favorite stories when I see the Christmas decorations, of course the favorite being the birth of Jesus, but I also enjoy the story of those wise men coming to Jesus. Now we know that, that many will have the wise men showing up at the manger, but we know that from scripture that's not true. In fact, we're told that they actually came to a house that Mary and Joseph were living in. And so quite possibly the Magi, these wise men that came from the east across no doubt, either across or around the Arabian desert, these were men that actually came to their house where they were staying. So about a year later, perhaps. Why I bring up the wise men, these magi, is because I've always wondered, scripture doesn't tell us, but I've always wondered, how did they know to follow the star? There was a unique star like no other, so they had to obviously be experts in, in looking at the universe and the stars and decided to follow it. And of course, the star was over Jesus. It led them right to Jesus. But was it that God perhaps maybe came to them in a vision or a dream? We know that God can do that. And, you know, the angel came to Joseph in a dream. Or was it even bigger than that? That perhaps they were looking for the Savior because of what they read from one of the Old Testament prophets, specifically Daniel. Why I say this is Daniel was one of the Magi. In fact, at one time, he was the head of the Magi in Babylon. He was an advisor to the king. Now at a very early age, in 605 BC, so about 600 years before the birth of Jesus, Daniel, along with, with other young men, especially Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were taken by Nebuchadnezzar as exiles to, to Babylon. And there, there, they would get special training in order to eventually be advisors to the king. And Daniel, along with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they did so well that they actually became one of the more prominent advisors. Daniel actually becomes head of the Magi, but then it didn't stop there. He had the ability to interpret dreams, and because of this, Nebuchadnezzar decides to make him now the governor of Babylon, the capital city of the Babylonian Empire. He will be a governor in this city 
for the next 60 years. In fact, our episode, he's probably about 80 years old. He will actually not only serve as governor of Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar, but also under his son, Belshazzar. And it won't even stop there. When the Medes and the Persians come in and they actually take over the city in one night and on that night ended the Babylonian Empire and now the world power is going to be the Persian Empire, it was Daniel who will end up becoming one of the head governors in the area. The man was Darius was the king, also known as Cyrus. Now there's huge debate among scholars whether Darius and Cyrus are really the same guy, maybe two different guys. Or some even say that maybe Darius is like his title, like Pharaoh is the title for the king of Egypt. So maybe Darius is, is the title. Either way, I've always leaned towards taking Darius and Cyrus as the same man. Darius, in order to rule his country, which extended far beyond, beyond the Babylonian Empire. He set up 120 governors. They were known as satraps. And over these 120 governors, he sets up three administrators, and one was Daniel. And it wasn't very long that Daniel did his job so well that Darius decided to bless him as now being the head over the administrators which would make Daniel second in command of the entire Persian Empire. Boy, it reminds us of Joseph when he was in Egypt. The other administrators and many of the satraps did not approve of this at all. But they could not go to the king. The king had a dear, dear respect and, and love for Daniel. And no matter what they would do, they just couldn't get the kingdom to change his mind. So they came up with a plot. And the plot was simply that they would go to the king and tell the king that for the next 30 days, no one can pray to any god or man except to you. Sounds like emperor worship. And the king, knowing that this, and the king really feeding his ego, accepts this and signs an official document. But here's the catch, is when the document was signed, it was signed in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. So this wasn't just a, a general law that people could kind of take it or leave it. No, this was an official law. And, and under the official law, in accordance with the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Not even the king himself can revoke it. Such a law was to keep kings from writing frivolous and senseless laws, which is exactly what Darius did. So he signs this document. For the next 30 days, no one could pray to any god or man except to the king himself. When Daniel hears that the document has been signed, he goes home as he usually does. He goes to his upper room as he would always do. This was his custom. And he worshiped the Lord. With the window open towards Jerusalem, 
he would say his prayers and give praise to God. Oh, the men, they knew Daniel's routine. They knew he was a religious man, and they caught him. They saw him praying. So they went back to the king, but they don't go back to the king to tell him that, oh, Daniel's praying. No, they go to him to ask him the question, didn't you just sign a document that says no one can pray for the next 30 days to any god or man except to you? And the king, of course, replied, yes, because he just signed the document. Probably signed it that day. And now they say, Daniel's been praying. And the king is distraught. He loved and honored and respected Daniel greatly. He was going to make him second in command of his entire empire. In fact, he will spend the whole day trying to figure out a way to get Daniel out of this situation. No doubt talking to his lawyers. But there was no way out. Boy, doesn't it beg the question is, why didn't Daniel just simply not pray for 30 days? Is that really a big deal? I mean, God would know his heart. Couldn't even walk away and, or walk around and still have in his head prayers and, and still be praying to God. No one will really see it or know it. But he'll know it, and, and he's praying to God, why this routine? Why go up and pray? And he would pray three times during the day. This was his tradition. This was his practice. This was a practice he would not give up. But come on, for 30 days, you get through it, then you can get back to it again. It's, all, it's almost like the thinking, okay, you miss a few times here or there. That's not a big deal. God has to forgive you. But see, Daniel didn't look at his prayer as just simply prayer. This was his, really his worship time. When you keep in mind that prayer is a heart-to-heart -heart talk with God, keep in mind that prayer oftentimes is seen as we're praying to God, but keep in mind that in a heart-to-heart -heart talk with anyone, not only do we do the speaking, but we also do the listening. This was an opportunity not to only reach out to the Lord in prayer, but an opportunity for God to respond to him. And the book of Daniel is full of visions where God spoke back to Daniel. And we have the privilege of, of actually reading those words. But I am saying that when it comes to prayer, what's always connected with prayer is God's word because God's word is God speaking to us if you're praying just to, speaking to God and not letting God speak back to you you really miss out on what prayer is all about again that heart to heart talk with God how can we even offer prayers to God if we don't even know what God says and isn't it a privilege and joy to know that what he says he records for us in his holy word. So not praying, not worshiping, not being in God's word was just not an option. No matter what the king would sign. 
just as it wasn't an option for Dr. Martin Luther when he stood before an, uh, an emperor at the Diet of Worms and was told by the religious leaders that he needed to recant of what he has been writing because he's been questioning many of the abuses that were going on. And because they did not want to listen to him, they would just simply ask him the question, are these your writings? And second, will you recant? Will you take them back? Will you reject them? And after asking for a day to pray and consider it, he would come back to say, I cannot recant. I am conscious bound by the Lord. And you have no right to supersede the conscience and what God's word says. Here I stand. I can do no other. It was not an option even for Peter and John when they were before the Sanhedrin and they were told to stop preaching about Jesus in the temple because they were sick and tired of hearing it and they're getting the blame for it all the time. And Peter and John would have to say to the religious leaders, the Jewish ruling council, we must obey God rather than men. Again, there just was no option. There is no option for any of us to compromise God's word. Our great heritage is certainly to be in God's word and also, out of love for that word, to pray to God, who not only hears our prayers, but answers them. In fact, what a great privilege it is for us to even gather together around prayer and God's word. This is our great heritage. And there is really no other option. The king will have Daniel thrown into the lion's den. It he was actually, it says, Lord. So think of it more like a pit. The cover will now be placed over it. And it will be sealed by the king and by the nobles. That was the practice. It made it official. Anyone who moved that stone, except the king and those noblemen, would certainly see the same fate. No one dared touch that stone. The king that night did not sleep well at all. In fact, we're told that he did not eat and he did not have any entertainment. This was not going to be simply just another day. He was horrified by what went on and no doubt overwhelmed with guilt for making such a frivolous law. And now look at the results. Now remember, people are supposed to be praying to him. He's supposed to be the emperor God. And he can't overturn the law? No. The next morning he comes and we're told that he came to the tomb, tomb or to the pit, to the den. And he spoke in a fearful voice. Some translated as anguish. A voice that, knowing Daniel must be dead. How can he live? But still, 
around trying to be hopeful. If Daniel's tore apart and he hears any type of voice, they're going to be bringing him out in pieces. And yet, he still calls out to Daniel. In fact, he specifically says, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God, whom you serve continually, able to rescue you from the lions? And to his surprise, Daniel replies, Your majesty, may you live forever. He doesn't, he doesn't come out with saying he hates the king and he wants to get even with the king and how dare you king and I'm going to make you pay, dear king. But he gives, he gives respect to the one in authority. May you live forever. Which was a common greeting when you came before the king. And he told the king on how he had committed no crime and how even God, God sent an angel and shut the mouth of the lions. And, and really, to our surprise, Daniel was the one who got a good night's sleep when the king did not. And Daniel was the one in the lion's pit. When they pulled Daniel out, there wasn't even a wound on him. Not even a bruise. No one broke skin on him. The king ordered that all those who connived and plotted against Daniel, and really the king, they and their families, along with their wives and children, would all be thrown into the lion's pit. We're told that the lions just tore them to pieces. None of them survived. After that, the king actually went one step further, and he actually wrote a decree. Now, we're not told that the decree was written in the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. But he did write a command, telling that the whole empire was to believe and, and, and to pray to Daniel's God. And he described Daniel's God in the same way when he spoke to Daniel. He said, the living God. Now, did the king come up with this on his own? Clearly, Daniel must have been witnessing to him and spoke of his God as always the living God. And when you think of that term, living God, you're talking about a God who is real. All the other gods are fakes, they're frauds, they're dead, they don't exist because they're, they're not real. There is only one God and one true God, and that's the living God. But we call God the living God, not just because he's real, because this is the God who made everything. He made life itself. He created the world in six 24-hour days. He, he knit us together in our mother's womb. He blessed us with talents and abilities, and none of us have the same talents and abilities. They're unique, and isn't it wonderful that these talents can be used together to complement for the sake of the ministry? And it is God who gives all that. But we call God the living God, not just for that reason alone, but this is the God who gives us life. This is the God who sees mankind, sinful human beings who deserve death and damnation and hell. And it was the Son of God who took on human flesh, fully God and fully man, to be our Savior, to pay the price for those sins even suffering death and hell for us because we could not suffer this and live. But Jesus conquered death and rose again. This is our living God, for through faith in him, 
We shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's God's invitation. We're not saved because of what we do and, and, what, and what we earn or what we think we deserve. We're saved by the living God who gave his life and saved us. And for that, we can't thank him enough. This is the living God that we believe in. And when we speak of our great heritage, we have to keep in mind that we're talking about a living God and a living word. Because only the word is the word that reveals who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And therefore, this word is the word of life. And Jesus is the word of life. So as we celebrate this Reformation, we're not just simply celebrating a man who did great things, wrote a lot of books, and we took his name as the name for a church, and you know we're called Lutheran. No, we're holding to the same principles that he did. Holding to the principle of we have a living God and a living word. This is a word that we should not add to or subtract from or change. This is the word that centers in Jesus Christ. This is what the entire Bible points to. And because only in Jesus Christ are we forgiven of our sins, and only in Jesus Christ do we have the sure hope of eternal life in heaven. Because of this, on this Reformation Day, as we cling to our great heritage, as we cling to that living God and living word with our hearts and prayers and using our lips to his glory, joining Daniel of old, because there is no other option. I can honestly say I'm not ashamed to be called a Lutheran. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to a sermon podcast from Salem Evangelical Lutheran Church. If you have any further questions or would like to learn more about Salem Lutheran and its ministry, please check out our website at www.salemevlutheran.org. Once again, that is www.salemevlutheran.org. May God bless you today and every day.